My name is George Bersis. I'm a co-managing partner of uh, Botamitis Recreation Law Partnership. And uh, I will moderate this panel of uh, highly uh, distinguished guests on the Greek economy, the implications of the crisis in Ukraine, and on the reforms enhancing the investments and business landscape. Uh, I will also present you with the bankruptcy reforms. Uh, without further ado, um, I will introduce our first speaker, Filippo Tadei. Filippo is a senior economist for Southern Europe on the Europe Economics team of Goldman Sachs in London. Until 2020, he was an associate professor of international economics at the John Hopkins School of Advanced International Studies, where he taught international finance and microeconomics. He holds a PhD in economics with distinction from Columbia University and a laureate in economics with honors from the University of Bologna. He has been awarded the Lanfaluzzi Fellowship by the ECB and the Young Economist Award by the European Economic Association. Filippo will give us uh, the broader picture of the Ukrainian crisis and will then focus on Greece. Good morning, everyone. A pleasure uh, to be here. And uh, I have um, uh, essentially three messages, uh, uh, which is really the same message uh, here. Um, and the, the, the main message we have is that as we look at, uh, to Europe, in particular, to, we look at to the Greek economy, uh, we have uh, um, concern that what we're experiencing is a delay rather than a derail of uh, a solid uh, growth uh, upside. So I would like to talk about the delay factor, compare it with uh, between Greece and uh, the rest of, of the euro area. Uh, talk about uh, what that means uh, on the fiscal front, and finally uh, conclude on uh, um, what, uh, uh, how does this uh, contingent, if you want, uh, cyclical situation compares with the structural challenges, or I should say the structural opportunity that uh, Europe, Southern Europe in particular, holds, and in particular Greece. So let me go on the first one, okay? Um, our forecast there, uh, uh, I, I do I that's fantastic. Is this a controller? Or if that does it, yes. Okay. So before, uh, right, okay. So let me start from from the euro picture first. This is our view about when we think about inflation in the euro area. As you see, you know, pretty concerning picture. In terms, of, we have a headline peaking closer, possibly above nine percent in the middle of the year between July and August. The headline numbers is uh, unprecedented, and you know, underneath. There is also some structural core uh, dynamic in terms of the price level. We have uh, by the end of by the end of the year we have a core inflation. So inflation taking away energy, food, the most uh, directly affected impact still above target by the end of the year. And this honestly, I mean, by now it's not a surprise, but it was uh, absolutely um, uh, unthinkable until six six months ago. So we are in the face of a, of a very of a very profound shock, and you might wonder at this point, you know, how is Greece, if in any way, I'm trying to go back, but you know, apparently, okay, there was, let's try, ah, yes, I'm there, sorry, I'm still there, and if you look at Greece in particular, what's striking about Greece is that there's nothing striking about Greece. It's just in line with the rest of the euro area. It's in particular in line with the Southern Europe, where you've got uh, between 50 and 60 percent of the headline reading in inflation, driven by the energy factor. So now the question that we all need to ask is: How long is this uh, energy crisis going to last? And I'm going to be a bit uh, a bit bold here. I mean, um, give you the kind of 
our view on the European economy. We took, uh, obviously, the main driver here is the price of natural gas. Not because the other, uh, the other elements, components don't matter, but that's the essential driver uh, to everything that has to do with energy prices across Europe. Now, what's interesting uh, there is that we have an elevated level of uncertainty, so we have to make some expectation about uh, its, uh, its future. And uh, our baseline, arguably a pretty cautious one, is that uh, until natural gas prices will remain elevated until the beginning of 2023. Elevated means in the bandwidth between 120 and 140 euro per megawatt hour, just to give a, a sense about what elevated means. And also to connect that with history, we're talking about uh, Essentially, um, uh, that compares with uh, a price that we've been paying for 10 years before 2019, around 20-25 euro per megawatt hour. So that word is going, the, go the word of 20-25. But possibly the world we live in is not going to last forever. We decided to, to take uh, you know, what is uh, this baseline uh, of uh, this bracket for price as our baseline because we consider that the risk still lies ahead for uh, natural gas prices to remain elevated. The impact of that on European growth is substantial. By substantial, we mean that if we look at the, we, we've, a couple of years, a couple of weeks ago, sorry, we've downgraded our growth forecast for 2022, and we push it down by 1.4%, and out of that 1.4%, 1% is essentially natural gas prices. So you understand how important it is to actually form expectation regarding the future of natural gas prices. If you're thinking about the risk of extreme unraveling, or if you're full disruption of natural gas with prices going above the 200, 220 threshold, what in our view is the downside scenario, we would, that would mean for the European economy, pushing the European economy into a technical recession. So negative growth, not just for Q2, which is what we currently expect, but also for Q3. So the stakes are high, and the impact on growth is important. And that's why we are observing governments responding on the fiscal front, doing what they can to kind of buffer this supply shock. And honestly, it's fiscal, the response, because it couldn't be anything else than fiscal. What can you do with monetary policy when you face a, a supply-driven inflationary shock. I mean, at the end, monetary policy is about the demand management, is about inflation expectation anchoring, but directly, only fiscal can do. Now, if we compare the Greek response to other countries, you know, and I'm giving you the full array here, from the lower end, Germany, that since, uh, I think it's important to consider uh, the beginning of 2021, uh, since Q3 2021, Germany has essentially spent between 1% and 1.5% of GDP to offset the impact of energy cost on the cost of living uh, inflation. At the other extreme, you have, if you want, uh, Italy and Spain, or I should say Spain and Italy, where the total amount of fiscal resources put down until Q2 2022 is already scratching the 3% of GDP upper bound. So this gives you a sense about the fact that although fiscal is important, fiscal is also expensive, okay? And the Greek government is really in line with, it's just in between Spain, Spain and Italy, in terms of well, including the latest announcement by uh, the Prime Minister. So, as we look forward, although fiscal makes sense, fiscal is expensive. And just to give you a kind of a rule of thumb in our estimate, every quarter of elevated energy prices 
cost something around half a percent of GDP if governments want to provide some minimally meaningful, minimally meaningful offset for the cost of living for inflation. And you know, and, and the measure of what you all know, you know uh, what, what you'll know and you know very well. So, so on, as you see, Greece is really about, uh, is the, the fiscal response there is really about uh, in line with everything else that we are observing, that we're observing in Europe, and uh, and it couldn't be otherwise. And if we look forward, you know, if you want to ask yourself how much Greece will need to put down in terms of fiscal spending, you know, that 0.5 percent that other countries are spending and Greece is also spending per quarter is kind of the guideline for every quarter of elevated energy prices. And by elevated energy prices is exactly what I mentioned before. Okay, so. Why is this? A, this is obviously is a delay factor. It's a delay factor on two accounts because it's, it's shrinking the fiscal space on one side, and it's a delay factor because it's also delaying the undertake of investment. And this is especially important because of the weakness, or you know, I should say, the, the, the opportunity to actually address the fundamental uh, difference between uh, the Greek economy and others. As you see there, across the board, across Southern Europe, the investment gap has been especially pronounced before COVID. So essentially, the level of investment in a proper microeconomic sense, it, it, so in terms of actual capital expenditure, hasn't fully recovered since the GFC, nowhere in Southern Europe. But in Greece, that has been especially taxing. And what's especially striking about Greece, and this, uh, and this is really a, a difference, is uh, the composition there. So the, how that uh, investment gap is really driven by the lack or subdued private investment. And that is the number one items that really you need to address. So what's interesting is that, that then is to observe that the cognizant of this trap, of this problem, of this challenge, the Greek National Recovery Plan, and, and I'll stop on this because I think I've run out of my time. Georgia looks at me in a bad way, so it's my time's up. And what's interesting here, and this is something that we should keep in mind is that Greece is the only country, you know, where the national recovery, where the entire loan component of the national recovery plan is devoted to the funding, directly or indirectly, of private investment. This might come, you know, if you focus a lot on Greece, this for you might be, you know, something, uh, an obvious uh, result. But it's not. In, the, in actually, in the comparison, you have two striking differences. Number one, only two countries used the full amount of loan uh, within the recovery fund. One is my country, Italy, the other one is Greece. Portugal did a bit, other countries did a bit, but really the loan component is really fully undertaken, fully subscribed only by these two countries. And number two, and that's really the Greek, uh, uh, the, the Greek strategy, is that while in Italy these loans are essentially used to do the usual thing, you know, more infrastructural, uh, public infrastructure investment, one way or the other, or fund structural reform. In Greece, you have this emphasis on uh, private investment, which is different, is likely to be uh, more effective, and is actually uh, strikingly uh, interesting in any uh, cross comparison across Europe. I will stop here and happy to dig more on that issue later. Thank you very much. Uh, I think you, you won't get the second question because you run really out of time. So uh, let me go to our second uh, speaker. Uh, Mr. Tassos Anastasatos, who is the Group Chief Economist of Eurobank and the Chairman of the Scientific Council of the Hellenic Bank Association and Research Associate of the University of Piraeus. 
Previously, among others, he has served as Secretary General of the Hellenic Ministry of Finance and Chairman of the Council of Economic Experts, and was the Euro Working Group member for Greece. He holds a PhD and a Master's in Economics and Finance from the University of Warwick and a Bachelor in International Economic European Economic Studies from Athens University in Economics and Business. He has published extensively in market research publications, academic journals, the media, uh, and books. Uh, Tassos will uh, continue discussing uh, on the Ukraine crisis, implications on Greece, and also the prospects of the Greek economy. Thank you very much. Please try to be brief, like six minutes. I'll do my best. Have some time for questions. I, I really scared you. <laughs> <laughs> I'll do my best. I'll, I'll try to give you good morning, everyone. And uh, thank you for being here today with us. Uh, I'll try to give you a very brief uh, overview of the prospects of the Greek economy, uh, risks surrounding it, and, and counters as seen from the perspective of the Greek banking system. Uh, so, to pick it up from where Filippo left it, let me say that, and as the Prime Minister said as well in his message, the, uh, the economy having recovered uh, the bulk of the pandemic losses in 2021 had entered 22 in a very dynamic way. Uh, most uh, uh, leading indicators uh, were seeing prospects, showing prospects of dynamic recovery, uh, manufacturing uh, at many year highs, retail trade the same, uh, BMI solidly above the 50 units threshold. Only the consumer was a bit uh, pessimistic in the recent months, given the situation unfolding. So everything was rose, and then Ukraine erupted. Um, now, obviously, it's impossible uh, to, to, to gauge the, uh, the extent of the problem since we don't have visibility in main aspects of the problem regarding the duration of the war and possible escalation, uh, the size and duration of EU sanctions, as well as uh, the size and duration of uh, uh, monetary fiscal measures to counter the impact of, uh, of the supply shock. However, we can trace channels. Now, regarding the direct channels, uh, Greece is re relatively uh, uh, isolated uh, from, from the shock, given that it has very low uh, trade links with both Ukraine and Russia, with exports to these two countries of goods and services being less, uh, actually 2% uh, of total, and the same more or less is the contribution to Greek tourism of Russian uh, tourists. As a matter of fact, in, in uh, last year was even uh, below 1%. So the exposure uh, to, to, to Russian uh, tourists and, and, and uh, exports is, is relatively low. Financial links are non-existent. No Greek bank has any meaningful exposure to these uh, two countries. However, there is an exposure uh, on, the, uh, on the fossil fuels, uh, on the energy mix. So Greece uh, imports 46% of, uh, uh, of the fossil fuels it uses and 73% uh, of that comes from Russia. Another 40%, more or less, of its natural uh, gas comes uh, from Russia. So this is a, 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 the most important channel of transmission uh, of the crisis. The other important transmission channel has to do with uncertainty, which, as we all know, is not very good for uh, consumer and investment decision, tends to, uh, to cause a delay with these decisions. However, there are significant counters as well. First of those being tourism. Uh, tourism recovered 56% of 58% of its 2019 uh, revenues last year, and on the condition that the situation in Ukraine normalizes uh, before uh, summer, and by normalize don't mean the end of the war, it just mean containment of the situation. 
the potential is there for, for tourism to rebound even more strongly this year, uh, and uh, why not even to reach 2019 uh, levels. The other important counter, Philippe already, already mentioned that, is uh, RRF, and as a matter of fact, it's not just RRF. We are uh, also talking about the multi-annual financial framework, uh, what is known in Greece as, as ESPA, uh, uh, money directed uh, towards SMEs uh, in particular. We are also talking about uh, EIB funds. Uh, so in total, according, uh, along with some other uh, European Commission initiatives, we're talking about 90 billion of funds available to Greece in the next four to five years. On top of that, you have to calculate 37 billion of uh, uh, purchases by the ECB of, uh, of, of Greek uh, government bonds, uh, provision of inexpensive liquidity to Greek banks via Teltros, and uh, the reduction of capital buffer. So all these things mean a very comfortable liquidity situation for the Greek economy. And uh, we also have to calculate the fact that the health of the Greek banking system is very much improved uh, as well. Uh, the uh, fiscal measures and all the, uh, the measures that I mentioned before have resulted in uh, deposits the Greek banking system have increased by more or less 35 billion in the pandemic alone. Uh, the MPE's ratio uh, of the Greek bank system have uh, been reduced dramatically from 40% to uh, mid-teen uh, uh, ratios. And as a matter of fact, for some banks, Eurobank being in the forefront of that, in single-digit figures even from 2021, and uh, with capital adequacy ratios being uh, very comfortable. So overall, the, the ability of the Greek bank system to support growth uh, has improved a lot. And finally, uh, we have to calculate uh, the fact that the, uh, the state sits on a cash buffer of more than 31 uh, billion uh, of euros ready to support the situation if needed. So, to, to, uh, to wrap up, um, it, is, it is evident that the situation in Ukraine is going to cause a deceleration in, in the growth of GDP this year, uh, an increase, perhaps a shave of one or two percentage points from the previous estimates of four and a half to five percent real GDP growth rates this year, uh, if we believe the median scenario of most official institutions, and it's also going to cause an increase in inflation even uh, in excess of five percent this year. However, to the extent that the situation is being uh, contained and normalized uh, sometime in the next few uh, weeks, and uh, the, uh, the pillars of Greek productivity, uh, the long-term determinants of Greek uh, productivity remain uh, intact. Uh, there is scope for the Greek economy to recoup uh, some parts of the losses uh, of this year in the, uh, in the next years. And according to our estimates, it is more than feasible uh, for uh, GDP growth rates uh, in excess of 3.5% or even 4% on an annual basis for the next three uh, to five years. I'll stop here. I hope I complied. And uh, thank, thank you very much for this. So um, now we'll, we'll discuss a little bit about uh, structural reforms, and um, so I'll pass on to Mr. Panos Saklovlu, who is a Deputy Minister of Labor in charge of the social insurance. He's an economist, a professor at the Athens University of Economics and Business, and he was advisor to Prime Ministers Jos Papandreou and Lukas Papadimos during the period 2012-2014, where he was the Chairman of the Greek Government Council of Economic Advisors and member of the Working, working Group. He was actually the predecessor of Mr. Anastasatos. So, um, and he was um, 
uh, also a member of the Economic and Financial Committee. His research focuses on economics of social policy, labor and education economics. He is widely published with over 100 books, articles and contributions to collective volumes. Panos will now discuss the recent reforms in the labor market, the pensions and social security and solidarity. Right. Uh, good morning, everybody. Thank you, Chair. Um, the twin deficits of uh, the first decade of uh, our century led to the painful adjustment programs of the Greek economy of the second decade. The most important factor contributing to the budget deficit was uh, certainly the deficits of the social security system, while the loss of competitiveness that was leading to large current account deficits was primarily due to rising unit labor costs, which in turn were due to a large extent to labor market rigidities. At the same time, despite the sharp increase in social spending in the years before the crisis, Greece's social protection system remained relatively inefficient as demonstrated by the persistently high levels of inequality and poverty. During the last decade, several reforms were undertaken to, making, to make the Greek labor market more flexible to reform the pension system and contain its spending as well as to improve the efficiency of the social protection system. Undoubtedly, however, Greece's ranking improved in several league tables, but many more things remain to be done. Despite the inevitable delaying effects of the pandemic uh, and currently the uh, war in Ukraine, the Greek government embarked on a bold reform program that includes several reforms affecting the labor market, the pension system, and the social protection. As the time of the presentation is short, uh, I will focus on a number of important reforms affecting the investment environment. The reforms undertaken in the field of uh, labor market were aiming at first increasing flexicurity, that is labor market flexibility as well as the protection of labor, second increasing labor force participation, and third providing efficient training and retraining to the labor force. A new labor law was adopted modernizing the legal framework that was dated back to the 1980s. Among uh, other arrangements, it contains provisions for the regulation of employment through platforms, for telework, for working time arrangements, and for the introduction of the digital labor card that will record working hours in detail in real time. Further, it upgrades the labor inspectorate to an independent authority and contains articles aiming to facilitate work and family life. Another important piece of legislation currently debated in Parliament aims to reform unemployment benefits by transforming them into wage subsidies in case an unemployed person finds a job, while benefit is cut if the unemployed systematically rejects job offers appropriate to his or her qualifications, as well as offers for training. In the same bill, uh, initial and continuous training structures are modernized and the payments to trainers are directly linked to first the, com <coughs> the completion of the training program by the trainee and his or her appropriate accreditation by an independent body, and second, by the successful placement of uh, the persons who receive training in the labor market and the retention of their posts after a number of months. Let me remind you here that quite a lot of money has been, sent, uh, has been spent on uh, improving training and retraining in the Greek labor market. However, the results so far were deemed to be rather inadequate. We do believe that with this bill, we will have a very substantial improvement. Furthermore, a, <coughs> sorry, a number of reforms undertaken by the Ministry of Education, that is not re represented here, intend to strengthen the links between the education system and the labor market, especially through apprenticeships thus facilitating the transition from education to work that appears to be quite problematic in the case of Greece. Greece's tax wedge was one of the largest in the OECD, 
contributing to high unemployment rates. In the last two and a half years, this wage declined considerably through both tax cuts and cuts in social insurance contribution. The latter have already uh, been reduced by 3.9 percentage points, and there is a, another half a point uh, reduction planned for this summer. Unemployment was a serious problem for the Greek economy even before the crisis of the last decade and remains serious today. However, as a result of a battery of policy reforms, including those outlined before, the rate of unemployment that stood at 17.2 percent of the labor force in July 19 declined to 11.9 percent in February 22. This is the lowest rate that uh, we have for over uh, a decade now. Despite the adverse developments due to the work in Ukraine, we believe that it will decline further in the coming months. Regarding pensions, a recent important reform aims to gradually transform the auxiliary pension system uh, from a distributive pay-as-you-go to a fully funded pay-as-you-earn. Individual accounts are created for new labor market entrants from 2022 onwards. The reform aims to reduce the exposure of the social security uh, system to the deteriorating demographic trends to increase savings, uh, a considerable extent of which will be invested into the Greek economy, thus boosting growth uh, to provide and as well as to provide strong disincentives for uninsured labor and deliver higher pensions to the next generation of workers. According to long-term projections, the accumulated funds of the new system in its full maturity, which will be decades away from now, will be close to 50% of gross uh, domestic product, and depending on the allocation of the assets in Greece and abroad, it is likely to boost Greece's GDP by around 6 to 8 percentage points after a number of decades. Clear progress has also been made in uh, the front of pensions arrears that uh, overburdens the Greek society for over a decade. Following a number of legislative and organizational initiatives undertaken by the government, last year the number of pensions uh, issued were at the highest ever, 224,000 pensions, and this was 83% higher than the last normal year before the pandemic, that is 2019. It is true that there is a bulk of almost 80,000 pension arrears at the moment, however, with recent uh, legislative action that is taken in Parliament precisely these days, we do hope that by the end of the summer the bulk of this will be eliminated. A number of pieces of legislation were also adopted aiming to enhance the welfare safety net as well as to help families with children or persons with disabilities. In both cases, an implicit objective is the enhancement of labor market participation. Let me single out a few of these policies that are likely to boost growth in the long and the short term. First, uh, an effort is underway to provide a truly high-quality nursery services focusing on early learning. There are numerous academic studies uh, that demonstrate very clearly that such policies have strong, long-run positive effects for human capital formation. Second, the places available in kindergartens ruled substantially. Incentives were provided for the establishment of nurseries and workplaces, and a new policy was adopted for the provision of nursery services by persons who will receive tailor-made training, especially in sparsely populated areas. Naturally, these policies are likely to result in an increase in the labor market participation, especially of mothers. Third, a policy recently adopted will provide professional caring assistance to persons with disabilities, thus enabling the hitherto carers, usually family members, to participate more actively in the labor market. Ladies and gentlemen, during the pandemic and despite the high rate of public debt, the Greek government took measures that literally uh, 
left nobody unprotected. The recovery of the Greek economy in 2021 was impressive, and the medium-term growth prospects look good, as both Filippo and Tassos uh, outlined earlier on, partly due to the expected influx of RRF resources. Notwithstanding the negative consequences of the Ukrainian crisis, the reform process will continue unabated, and the positive effects will enhance the growth prospects of the Greek economy. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you, Panos, and uh, excellent work at the ministry you're doing. Um, I'll now pass on to, the <clears throat> to George Pitsilis, who is the governor of the Independent Authority for Public Revenue. He is also an attorney at law, researcher, and experienced professional. He graduated from the Athens uh, School of Law for his bachelor, where he also obtained an LLM in public law and a DA in tax law from the University of Pantheon, Sorbonne, Paris 1. Since 2008, he's a member of the Board of Directors of the Greek Society of Tax Law and Public Finance Studies. He is also a member of editing and the editing committee of Greek Legal Reviews, author of several articles and commentaries in Greek and international legal reviews. George will now discuss the reforms implemented by the Independent Authority for Public Revenue. Thank you, George. Uh, good morning, everyone. Uh, I think it's clear that we are sailing again in uncharted waters, and in this uh, new uh, environment, uh, we have in the tax administration, we have three major priorities. The first one is to support all government uh, actions that require tax data for the support of those that will be affected by the current financial situation, as we have done also during the, the pandemic by designing together with the Ministry of Finance and by uh, executing and providing a financial support that has exceeded 10 billion euro to almost 1 million businesses and uh, uh, real estate owners that have been uh, struck by the pandemic. So there is an accumulated experience there for us, and we are ready to support, uh, again, the economy as we have already done it. The second priority is to increase, to further increase our efficiency and effectiveness and, of course, uh, fairness, uh, making the best use of digitalization. Uh, there is no doubt that the pandemic has become an accelerator for uh, digital reforms, and we are currently working on redesigning our business processes and establishing a new operational model by making the best use of digital uh, technology, but also the best use of our human uh, resources. And what we want is that uh, taxpayers spend as uh, less time with us as possible so that they can spend it for their own businesses, those that generate uh, revenue and also public revenue. And uh, I can say that we have already achieved quite a few things during the past two years. Uh, we, we launched a new digital gate wherein where, where taxpayers can, can file uh, their claims or requests uh, for more than 250 processes. So the front end uh, is almost 100% digital 
uh, now for us. We have um, made end-to-end -end digital defiling and uh, payment of real estate transfer taxation. Today, filing and payment of uh, a real estate transaction of tax can be uh, done digitally and can be accomplished within one working day. And uh, we're currently working on further standardizing, centralizing, and digitalizing our processes from audit functions to tax collection and tax refunds. We are building a new digital business model that will uh, save time both for taxpayers but also for us, the tax administration, while strengthening our integrity and, and transparency. And to, to give an example, today, seven out of 10 taxpayers that are entitled to a tax refund also owe money either to, to the tax administration or to Social Security. And uh, we, we, today we're doing this offset manually and locally. You, you can understand how much time is spent, both for us and the taxpayers, to this respect. So well, this year we have focused our, our, our efforts in order to digitalize this, uh, this process. And to the end of uh, m moving the tax administration to the next generation, we have a very powerful tool. The Prime Minister talked about it. It's the RRF. Uh, there is a big project for digitalizing the independent authority for public revenue, 260 million, or a million euros, uh, 16 uh, sub-projects um, from new, new core tax systems to uh, business intelligence, artificial intelligence, and big data analytics, uh, the interoperability of uh, online cash registers with uh, POSs, uh, the tracking of uh, trucks and containers once they enter the Greek territory, the digitalizing of our paper archives, to name a few and very important ones. And uh, we, we expect delivery of these projects to start coming from 2023, and we have focused our efforts in expanding termination of these projects. The third priority is to become more taxpayer uh, and investment friendly from uh, creating innovative uh, units for communication and taxpayer service uh, to strengthening our dispute resolution unit that has been constantly increasing its performance and the quality of its decisions while at the same time uh, making known to everyone how we treat cases by publishing those decisions. Uh, we have also moved to further uh, embracing uh, tools like advanced pricing agreements and uh, mutu uh, mutual arrangement uh, procedures with uh, various countries. And the next thing we are contemplating and working on together with the Ministry of Finance is advanced rulings. <clears throat> we are working together on a framework that uh, will allow the issuance of uh, advance rulings for foreign direct investments exceeding a certain amount so that we can offer uh, tax certainty and comfort on the rules applicable 
to uh, to a specific investment beforehand before this is before this is uh, made. So I will stop here, George. Thank you very much, and thank you for keeping the time. Um, so I'll, I'll make a very brief introduction on the new bankruptcy laws of uh, of Greece. Um, conscious of the time, I'll I'll slice it in half. So um, basically. Uh, when the crisis started in 2010, um, which turned into a private debt crisis, it was obvious that the Greek bankruptcy laws were not um, up to the task. Um, that resulted in thousands of companies being abandoned, known as the zombies, because they could neither operate nor go into, into bankruptcy. There were some efforts to revamp these laws, but with uh, limited uh, success. Actually, with uh, the statistical data, there were about 500 bankruptcies in uh, filings in 2010, falling to 50 bankruptcies in 2020. So you can see a sharp decline in the number of bankruptcies filed, which was a very small number compared uh, with respect to the Greek economy. And um, only about 50% of this number of bankruptcies were uh, ever concluded. And they also last for, for a very long time. They last for over 10 years sometimes. And the recovery digits for creditors are, were very, very low. So in uh, 2019, the government set up an expert committee to produce a new framework, replacing all the prior laws dealing with insolvency over indebtedness and transposing the, the restructuring directive. Greece was actually one of the first uh, EU members to transpose the directive and uh, created a new framework, which was enacted about nine months ago, beginning of June 2021, and um, which involves the following main breakthroughs. There were some major changes introduced to the main bankruptcy proceedings, which is basically the pillar of the overall system. <clears throat> some of the changes involve the provision of a second chance to failed entrepreneurs, which is very important um, in my view, but also to over-indebted consumers. Now consumers can petition bankruptcy via an expedited procedure based on an electronic platform, which is the same way as micro and uh, businesses. For larger businesses, the process is more complex, but still substantially streamlined compared to the previous regime. The court that declares the bankruptcy decides on either a piecemeal uh, liquidation of the estate or the sale of the business as a going concern. The piecemeal liquidation is done via a series of auctions, which uh, should be concluded in more or less 12 months. And if we go as a, on a sale as a going concern, this can be even faster. It involves only one auction and is subject to the approval of the majority of the creditors committee. And another, uh, perhaps the most successful uh, reform, involved the creation of an, out of, court, uh, of an electronic platform for the out-of-court settlement of debts on a purely consensual basis but with the help of an algorithmic tool. This is limited to financial institutions and state debts and is purely out-of-court. In the previous uh, regime, there was only one out-of-court settlement in four years. In the new system, there were some data released uh, recently. There have been 16,000 applications uh, in preparation in the system, about 14,500 for individuals and 1,500 by businesses, which are being prepared now to be completed and submitted in the system. There have been 3,000 applications, which have been completed and sent to the creditors for processing. There have been 600 applications which have returned from the creditors to the debtors for acceptance. So there have been proposals. And uh, <clears throat> in these uh, um, uh, files, the uh, haircuts 
were about 60 to 70 percent for unsecured debts and 35 percent for secured debts. And there have been another 500 cases which involve state debts and are going to be negotiated bilaterally between the state and the debtors. So you can see there is a, a huge demand for this kind of tool, which will also help resolve the NPL problem and, uh, <clears throat> and push the economy forward. Also, the new legislation regulates the insolvency profession and allows not only individuals, as was the case before, but also legal entities to be appointed as uh, liquidation trustees. It provides for uh, issues such as certification, liability insurance, code of conduct, and control of professional misconduct. So the profession is now regulated and <clears throat> on a safer and, and more sound basis. Also, the new framework aims to address the deficiencies that hampered the proceedings under the previous regime, such as the procedural abuse of, uh, in connection with stays of execution, which are now substantially reduced under the new regime, limitation of judicial intervention, because courts take a long time sometimes, uh, st strengthening the role of the creditors in critical decisions, but also broadening the scope of the protections afforded to honest but failed businesses and, and businessmen. The new proceedings make extensive use of electronic means of registration, publication of procedural stages and decisions, voting among the parties involved, as well as application and submissions. Uh, not least, the new, new electronics platform facilitates greatly the collection of statistical data and should allow us to identify mistakes and oversights and propose improvements quickly and efficiently. We therefore view that uh, this new framework is a critical reform that will encourage the assumption of business uh, risk, allow the resolution of our indebtedness through the quick settlement of debts, increase creditor recovery and restore productive means to productive uses uh, faster and more efficiently. Thank you. Um, we have technically run out of time, but uh, you know, me being a lawyer, I'll say that we started a little bit before uh, we were supposed to, so we have like a, a couple of uh, minutes if uh, Mr. Bournois will, will allow. Perfect. We will thank Mr. Staikouras for that as well. <laughs> so, um, I have prepared a couple of questions, but I don't know, I'd rather you have, if you have any questions, uh, we will take the questions from the floor and then we can perhaps discuss our own questions. Would anyone want to, to put forward a question or a comment? That's company and we're active also in Greece. So my question to you is, uh, is there any percentage that you know about the expectation of how high the labor cost will become in the next years in Greece, if you can give us such kind of uh, figure? Thank you. First of all, I'm not able to give you, let's say, any kind of a precise number. Uh, what we are currently discussing is, let's say, the increase in the minimum wage. And uh, as you know, there, there is a different kind of a procedure than the one that existed in the past. Instead of having, let's say, a negotiation between the social partners and then automatically being translated into law, 
Now we have, let's say, some uh, committee of experts consultation, and then uh, the government takes the final decision. Regarding the second part of uh, labor cost and non-wage labor, this will, of course, affect uh, the rest of uh, the labor cost, but this is, let's say, subject to negotiations uh, at uh, second and third level. Regarding uh, non-wage labor costs, as I mentioned before, uh, we reduced them quite considerably since we came to power by 4.4%. 4.4, it will be, let's say, in uh, June. Our intention is to go further there. However, the uncertainties that have been created by the war in Ukraine have put a break into this effort. However, it is not out of our agenda, and it is our intention to return to this. And do not forget that the Prime Minister had promised that uh, Norway's labor costs will decline by 5 percentage points. By this summer, we will have 4.4. If conditions allow, we will go even further there. You see, you got some news out of uh, your question. Please. Uh, good morning. I have a question on uh, the ESPA and the EIB funds that you had mentioned, uh, that there are up to $90 billion of ESPA funds over the next several years. Can you expand a little bit on that? Are there certain industries that have better grant funding versus other industries? Is there a max? How does that work exactly? Well, <clears throat> regarding, regarding uh, RRF, uh, which is something like 32 billion uh, euros, uh, there are uh, pre-selected priorities at the European level so uh, it is already uh, uh, designated that 38% uh, of these funds is going to go to green tran transition uh, policies. Another 20% is going to go to digitization of both the public administration and, uh, and uh, uh, SMEs in particular, while uh, some other amounts of money uh, relate to, to reskilling and upskilling policies uh, for the labor market. Uh, for modernizing uh, infrastructure in the public administration in general. Uh, uh, George and, and Panos gave you some examples of, uh, uh, of uh, some new legislation that is being introduced in order to, uh, to complement uh, this effort. Uh, and uh, there are also uh, some initiatives that are directed towards uh, improving the climate for private investment and co-financing private investment, especially in the, in the loans uh, uh, segment of RRF. In order to complement what Filippo uh, said before, another um, uh, feature that is special to the Greek RRF comparison to other programs is the fact that not only uh, the entire uh, amount uh, that is available for loans will be uh, exploited, but uh, according to uh, initiative taken by the government, it would be for the banks and uh, qualified assessors to assess uh, projects uh, and, and elect the ones to be financed and not some state officials. And obviously, this increases the, 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 uh, the likelihood of uh, productive and efficient projects to be, uh, to be uh, selected. Uh, so this is another uh, quality aspect of the process. Regarding uh, the so-called ESPA, uh, the multi-annual financial framework, we are talking there about 26 billion of euros uh, to, be to be utilized in the next three to five years. And if you also account for the common agricultural policy, we are talking about another 40 billion more or less, uh, in total. And this, this money is directed, or more appropriate, would I say, for smaller enterprises, uh, given the nature of the project to be, uh, to be uh, selected. They are quite dispersed, so I wouldn't like to, to select particular uh, areas. And uh, EIB also co-finances uh, projects, especially in infrastructure. But allow me to, if I have a minute, I would like to, to take the opportunity uh, to comment uh, on, on the structure of the RRF and all these initiatives in general. 
Yeah, yeah, I will. Um, although the liquidity aspect uh, of these programs is very important, it's going to boost demand in the next three to five years, as I commented in my initial statement. I think that the most important aspect is the fact that these go together with structural reforms that are actually prerequisites for the disbursement of the money, which are going to boost the long-term potential GDP growth uh, capabilities of the country uh, via transforming this, let's say, transitory domestic uh, demand boost into, uh, into a paradigm shift towards exports and investment-driven uh, growth model. Uh, I could name several examples. Uh, the Minister and uh, Secretary General mentioned a few. I would also add, for example, the cadastral and forest maps, land uses, the simplification of licensing for investment and renewables in uh, particular, modernization, digitization of public administration, numerous efforts. And I think that in the long term, these are the most important parts that are going to boost uh, the productive capabilities of the countries. Well, thank you very much for, for this very interesting discussion. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry we don't have more time. Um, it's been a pleasure.